Our second reading comes from the Gospel of John. These are the verses that immediately come following John's telling of the miracle where Jesus feeds the 5,000. So let us listen now for a word from God as we hear these verses from the sixth chapter of John's Gospel, beginning with the 24th verse. Once the crowd realized that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went to Capernaum in search of Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered them, saying, Very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, he continued, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then the crowd asked Jesus, what must we do to do the works God requires? And Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, what sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, for as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, very truly, I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Friends, these two are the words of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Our sermon today is titled, For You. Let us pray. Good and gracious God, for whatever it is we hunger this day, we pray that the scriptures read and the word proclaimed, the songs sung and the prayers prayed might fill us with life that is not the life the world gives. Indeed, O oh God, we pray that through your spirit, the words of my mouth and the meditations of each of our hearts might draw us closer to you, might lead us towards those places where you would have us go. Oh God, may we glorify you in this time, for you and you alone are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. The most reverend Michael Curry is perhaps best known right now as the preacher at a certain royal wedding that happened this past summer outside London. But he is also the 27th presiding bishop of the Episcopal Church. At his installation to that role in 2015 in the National Cathedral in Washington, D.C., Michael Curry told the story of a young African-American couple that one day attended worship in an Episcopal church in the late 1940s, outside of all places, my hometown of Dayton, Ohio. 
It might not be surprising to learn that this couple were the only people of color in the sanctuary that day. The man was Baptist. In fact, he was in seminary training to be a Baptist pastor at a school outside Chicago. His future wife, however, was a lifelong Episcopalian. The woman had told her fiancé beforehand that when the time came in the service to take communion, communion being a part of every worship in the Episcopal tradition, that when the time came, she would go forward to receive the sacrament, and he was welcome to come with her if he would like to receive a blessing. They were still using the 1920 Book of Common Worship then. Or he could choose to simply remain seated in the pew where they were. And so the worship happened. The scriptures were read, the prayers were prayed, the songs were sung, and then the time came for communion. The woman stood and she walked slowly down the aisle and the man remained seated in his pew. Keep in mind, this was the late 1940s. This was before the desegregation of our military. It was before Rosa Parks sat down on a bus and whether she knew it or not in the process stood up for Jesus. It was before Brown versus Board of Education. Martin Luther King was still in seminary himself in Pennsylvania. Before all of this, this woman walked down the aisle of a white church and knelt there at the rail. One by one, the priest moved down the altar, giving each person a wafer, saying, the bread of Christ, the body of Christ broken for you. And then he stepped back and got the cup. The man had seen this cup, and he was curious about it, both because he knew it had wine in it. Baptist and wine don't always go together. But more so because he realized there was only one cup. He leaned forward a little bit more in his pew, wondering what would happen when that cup was lowered to an African-American woman's lips. Once again, the priest went down the line, lowering the cup to each person, saying, The blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, which was shed for thee, preserve thy body and soul unto everlasting life. And then he got to this woman. And he paused there in front of her, and he lowered the cup to her lips. The blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, he said, which was shed for thee, Preserve thy body and soul unto everlasting life before Rosa Parks, before desegregation, at a time when parts of this country still had signs over water fountains that read colored and whites. Before all of that, this woman knelt and received the body and the blood of Christ. Years later, the man who remained seated there in the pew that day, would say that it was that moment that was the reason he joined the Episcopal Church. He would say that any church which would serve white and black from the same cup was a church who knows something about the gospel that he wants to know. Any church that would serve black and white from the same cup knew something that he wanted to be a part of. 
Now that young couple went on to get married. They went on to start a family. They had children, including a son, who would later become the 27th presiding bishop of the Episcopal Church. The gifts of God for the people of God. Sarah Miles was raised an atheist. She lived by her own description an enthusiastically secular life as a cook and as a writer in San Francisco. She was that way all the way through age 46. During her 46th year of life, several things happened. First, her and her partner welcomed with joy the birth of their first child. But around the same time, they suffered the death of Sarah's father and of several friends close to them. Looking back, Sarah supposed that it was the mix of gratitude and suffering of that year that opened her heart to something new. One winter morning, she was walking through her neighborhood, the Mission Bay neighborhood of San Francisco, and she walked by this beautiful building that she had walked by countless times but never, set, never stepped foot inside. It was this wooden building with a shingled roof and plain glass windows, and for some reason that morning, at 46 years old, she felt the draw. She wandered into this space that was almost otherworldly. If you've ever been to St. Gregory in San Francisco, you will know that it is a building with a massive rotunda that dominates it. From the inside, there is this large open space with no pews, but above you, dancing around that rotunda, are murals of saints with golden halos over their heads. And underneath those saints is a single table. That day that Sarah walked in, there was a small crowd, 20 or so people, sitting around that table. She took a seat that day more out of curiosity than anything else, but like that couple long ago in Dayton, she felt swept up suddenly in the worship of God in that place. She sat and she stood. She joined in the singing and the chanting. She heard the scriptures read and proclaimed, and then she heard the leader of that service welcome that group of people to communion. By announcing to them, Jesus invites everyone to this table. That day, Sarah partook of the bread and of the cup. And then something outrageous, even terrifying, happened to her, she says. Jesus happened to her. She writes that she felt dizzy, she felt overwhelmed, but suddenly she felt filled with life. She writes, I couldn't reconcile the experience with anything I knew or had been told. But neither could I go away. That day, for some inexplicable reason, I wanted that bread again. I wanted it all the next day after my first communion and the next week and the next. It was this sensation as urgent as physical hunger pulling me back to the table. And so she did. She came back. Week after week, year after year, Sarah returned to that table 
Eventually, she became a pastor in that place. And at that table, she began what to this day is one of the largest food pantries in San Francisco. Every week, hundreds of people shuffle into that same space that she shuffled into at age 46, and they fill their bags with food. The poor, the homeless, the sick, the elderly, they all come to feed their souls and their bodies at that table that fed Sarah so long ago. The gifts of God for the people of God. Now long ago, another hungry crowd formed on a shoreline, far away from St. Gregory's, far away from Dayton, far away from here. Just the day before, they had been fed an unexpected meal, perhaps the best kind, a free meal. But the one who had served them had since disappeared, and now they were all searching. They were hungry for more. Eventually, they found him, but when they did, on the other side of the lake, he offered them a different kind of meal this day. He offered them food that he claimed does not spoil, food for eternal life. We can imagine the questions running around in their heads because they're the same questions running around in our heads today. Sir, how exactly is there food that does not spoil? Can you show us a sign so at least we can see this food and then believe? And then finally, one hand at the back of the crowd slowly goes up. And ask Jesus the question that ultimately we all want to know. What must we do to get this food? And Jesus' answer is as simple as it is profound. To taste the bread of life. To be filled in a way that no earthly meal can fill you. All you must do is believe. Believe. All you must do is believe that a sip from a cup can work reconciliation. Believe that a simple invitation to a table can literally birth new faith. Believe that a single act of hospitality can change the course of a life. Believe that the gifts of God really are for the people of God. Believe that the gifts of God are for you. Friends, do you believe that? You know, Martin Luther, that great reformer of the 16th century, was prone to remind people that the whole of Jesus' life, that his birth, his ministry, his death, his resurrection, it can all be summed up And the two simple words that we hear when we come to the table. Christ's body broken for you. Christ's blood shed for you. You see, that is the gospel that Michael Curry's father wanted to be a part of. 
That is the something outrageous that happened to Sarah Miles. That is the bread that Jesus offered to the crowd on that beach so long ago. That is the truth that draws us back to the table week after week, month after month, year after year. That Christ's love, wholly undeserved, completely unearned, really is for us all. That Christ's love really is for you. I think that's the crux of the matter here. I think Christ knows that to be alive is to be loved. But in order for us to love others, we must first become alive. Friends, whatever it is you are hungry for this day, be it answers, be it healing, be it forgiveness, clarity, hope, faith, peace, whatever it is that you hunger for, may you hear and may you believe this day again the good news, the bread of life Come down from heaven, the cup of salvation, the gifts of God for the people of God. May you believe that those gifts are also for you. This day, even if for the very first time, may you take, may you eat, may you drink. May you sense and know the truth that we sang during our offertory today. May you taste and see this day and always the goodness of the Lord. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen.